If you uh, have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 2. Right? We will act, we're actually going to bounce around a little bit this morning, a little more topical in nature than just focusing on one place, but we will start in Malachi here in just a minute. Uh, we are continuing in our series on the happy family. Right? And so just over the last several weeks, I think this is week five, we've just been talking about God's design for the family, God's plan for the family. And uh, so just by way of recap, uh, so we started week one, we just talked about the importance of having a God-centered, uh, a God-centered home, right? God at the centerpiece of our, our homes and our families. And then, uh, then the next week, Andrew was here and he preached just about how the church is a family. It's not like a family, it is a family. Uh, in reality, the church is the ultimate family. Uh, and then we talked about singles, the gift of singleness, and the role that singles play in our church family. And then uh, last week, we talked about God's good design for marriage. And so if you're following the progression, here's the way it, it goes, right? You probably know what's coming next, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the whole deal with the baby carriage, right? Okay, so, so you know how it goes. This morning, we're talking about... Uh, Parenting. We're going to begin talking about parenting, and I say begin because we're actually going to kind of carry this along for the next uh, few weeks, and we'll talk about some kind of the more nuanced, more specific parts of, of parenting and family life. But uh, one of the things I want to bring us back and make sure we consider every week in this series, we talk about the happy family, is just that family looks different for everyone. Okay? Uh, so we were talking this week. Some people have the, the stock photo family. You guys know what I'm talking about when you buy the new picture frames and there's the, the picture of like the perfect looking family there in the picture frame. Uh, but not all of us have stock families, right? Some of us have, uh, we're, we're single parent families or maybe we're just single. That's our family. Uh, there's blended families where there's step parents and stepchildren. There's uh, adoptive and foster families and families with, um, with, with parents that are dealing with infertility issues. You've got empty nest families, and we can go on and on and on. But the point I'm trying to make is that, that when I say family, I, I want you to know that what I'm trying to think of is that family looks a lot of different ways to a lot of different people, okay? Uh, and so uh, with that, the reality is, is even though kind of our families look really different and we're kind of all over the place, uh, in God's providence and in His sovereignty, He's placed us, this, this family, this church family, uh, here in this place, in this season, um, for, for his purposes, all right? So even more to the point, regardless of what your family looks like, maybe it's the perfect stock photo family, uh, maybe it, it looks completely different than that, whatever your family looks like, one thing we know is true is that your family is broken in some way, right? because every family is broken in some way. There's there may be a stock photo family, but there's no such thing as the perfect family. And so every, every family is broken in some way, uh, whether it be the effects of our sin, the effects of, of sin committed against us or against our families. Uh, maybe it's just the result of living in a fallen world, right? The reality is, is uh, families are broken, right? They're all broken in some way. And, and to give you maybe a little, maybe this will be comfort to you, even if you look back through the pages of Scripture, some of the more well-known families, uh, they are broken. Right? You go all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? the first family. You realize the first offspring ever born into the world, one of them murdered one of the other ones. That's the first family, okay? So from the beginning, family was broken. Uh, 
You got Noah, if you know anything about Noah's story. Um, it's raining now, so that's appropriate. Uh, Noah and the flood. You know, he puts all his family on the ark and everything's good and then they're safe and they get off the ark. But Noah's story ends with this really weird episode with him sitting naked under a tree cursing some of his family. I'm not making that up. Like, you can go read it for yourself. Right? So, uh, Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Um, Even Abraham's family broken. Even though God said, Abraham, I'm going to use you uh, to be a blessing to the whole world. You're going to be the father of many nations. Uh, You know, God promises Abraham a child, but before uh, God fulfills that promise, Abraham tries to circumvent God's plan by having a child with his wife's servant. By the way, it was his wife's idea. So if, like, there's some messiness going on in the families of the Bible. We go on and on and on. I don't want to belabor the point, okay? Uh, But even the genealogy of Jesus, if you read through some of the names in there, like, there are some scandalous people in Jesus' family line. So, my point is every family is broken, all right? And yet, yet God still used all those families. In fact, all those families were commended in some way. God used all those families as a part of his plan for redemption, right? His plan to reconcile all things to himself. And so I, for you this morning, what I want you to see is um, to use a, a phrase from the racing world, you just got to run what you brung, right? Like, <laughs> That's what we used to say when we were racing, basically this idea of whatever you brought to the track, it's just what you got to race with. Whatever family looks like for you this morning, uh, even if it doesn't look anything like you hoped it would look like, it's the family that that God has given you in this season. uh, And it's that family, uh, even in its brokenness, that God is using for his redemptive purposes in the world. So uh, I hope that's encouragement to you this morning. Uh, But anyways, this morning... 20,000 foot flyover of parenting. Okay, I don't know if 20,000 feet, Eugene would know, I don't know if that's an appropriate flight height, but whatever, 20, much higher than that, right? Much higher, okay. 20,000 foot flyover of, of parenting, uh, and then over the next few weeks, we'll kind of get into some more uh, nuanced stuff, all right? So let me give you five, five points this morning. The first one is this, kind of begins where we left off last week. Happy parenting prioritizes a healthy marriage. All right, happy parenting prioritizes a healthy marriage. Uh, let me read this from Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And look at this. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So in this passage, you have God rebuking uh, his people. They're being rebuked specifically because of their faithlessness to the marriage covenant. But look again at verse 15. You see, and what was the one God seeking? And then he answers, godly offspring. Meaning that that through their marriages, through the covenant of marriage, one of God's 
goals for that was godly offspring. And the implication is that God intends to use faithful, God-honoring marriages to produce uh, godly children. Right? That's at least one of the aims of marriages. Of, of marriage is to produce godly offspring. So I don't want to preach another sermon on marriage this morning. Um, if you missed last week, you can go find that on the website or on the podcast. But I do think it's important that, that we be reminded that in God's good plan, God's good design for the family, marriage precedes parenthood. All right? Before sin entered the world, before it fractured everything, uh, God talking to Adam and Eve uh, he, he, he puts them in the kind of the one flesh union we talked about last week of, of marriage. And then from that, like flowing out of that, he says, then go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Right? All this is a marriage precedes parenting. And specifically, think of it this way. By God's design, your relationship with your spouse should take precedence, should take priority over your relationship with your children. Now, let's be honest, though. If you are a parent, especially of littles, this is hard. Right? This is difficult. Right? Because with our spouses, at least for the most part, generally speaking, uh, our spouses are grown people that can take care of themselves, right? Although I've realized in this season where I'm not with my wife every single day that like, I'm, I'm not sure that I know how to take care of myself. Um, I take her for granted. But generally speaking, your spouse is an adult that can take care of themselves, and so we tend to give more of our attention to our children, right? But in, in God's design for the family, marriage is a covenant relationship that reflects the gospel, right? It reflects our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, right? It's a, it's a covenant, which means uh, that our relationship with our spouse takes priority over every human relationship right doesn't mean your children aren't important doesn't mean your children don't need your love and your care and your provision absolutely they do but uh, I would submit to you that you love your children best when you love your spouse the most I mean this is like Bible aside this is even true like like psych psychologically sociologically there's studies that have nothing to do with the Bible that would tell you that that the, the environments where children thrive is when they, they are in the security of knowing they have a mom and a dad who love them, who care for them, uh, but also who love one another. Right? So um, here's my point. The most powerful tool in your parenting mailbox, or mail, <laughs> mailbox, the most pow powerful tool in your parenting toolbox, or mailbox if you use that for a toolbox, I don't know, the most powerful tool in your parenting toolbox is your marriage. All right, that's the most powerful tool in your toolbox. I'm not saying you can't be a good parent if you're not married. Hear that. You can be a good parent if you're not married. Just as I've learned uh, in doing my home renovations, I don't always have to have the perfect tool to get the job done, right? You can do a lot with a hammer and duct tape, Okay. But my point is, by God's design, in God's good design, right, your marriage is the best tool uh, for you as a parent. Right? It, because one of the things that it does is it provides an example for our children. Right? If we want our children to learn what it means to, to love Jesus, right, then what better example to them than a father 
who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. It's a tangible example for our kids to see, oh, this is how Jesus loves in the way that my dad is loving my mom. Right? That's an example for them. And on the, on the flip side, if we want our children to know what it's like to live in, uh, in obedience, in submission to Jesus, what better example than a mother who joyfully and gladly submits to her husband? Right? Now listen. Before we move on, here's what I know. Uh, and, and this is true of the rest of the sermon, but there's going to be moments where uh, maybe you feel some, some guilt or some shame or some condemnation because you've blown it in your family. Again, I would just point you back to all of our families are broken. Um, but maybe you're here and you're like, I, I'm already out, right? Because my marriage is a train wreck. Uh, it doesn't reflect the gospel. I'm, I'm a single parent. Uh, maybe... Your kids have already been hit with the shrapnel of divorce. And so what I would say to you is, um, like, I see you, but more importantly, God sees you. And he extends grace, and there's a word for you I have here in just a moment, but uh, hang with me. All right, so the first point was that happy parenting prioritizes a healthy marriage. Point number two, happy parenting begins with the proper end in mind. All right, the proper end in mind. So if you look back at that verse in Malachi, uh, God qualifies the type of children that he intends for God-honoring marriages to produce, right? He says godly offspring. And, and, and along those lines, you jump over to the New Testament, you see the same thing in Ephesians 6, chapter 4. Paul's tell, Paul tells parents, specifically us fathers, he says uh, that we are to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the point is that uh, Christian parents walking in obedience to the Lord point their children first and foremost towards Jesus. Right? Parenting begins with the proper end in mind, and the, the proper end in mind is, is eternity. Right? And, and that's uh, Jesus and is an essential part of eternity. So I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Storm-Tossed Family by Russell Moore. Uh, if you like to read, I would just commend that book to you. But I, I pulled this quote from his book, and I shared it online the other day because I thought it was just so powerful. He says, We should pray first and foremost, not that our child gets into a good school or finds an esteemed career or even that he or she would have a stable family one day. We should pray that more than anything, our child will leave an exit hole in a graveyard one day because he or she has learned to hear the voice of Christ. I love that. I love that because he goes on to say that our job as Christian parents, right? if you're here and you are a Christian, a believer, and you are a mom or dad, our job as Christian parents is to parent beyond here and now. It's to parent beyond the present. Right? Beyond academic success. Beyond the American dream. Right? Beyond the uh, elusive athletic scholarship. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. They're not, right? Those are good things. And the danger is that there are a million things that we could parent our children towards, okay? And, and many of them are good things. Most of them are good things. I don't think any loving parent parents their children towards bad things, right? But what happens is, is we let these good things become the most important thing, right? And, and when, that, when that happens, they distract us from the thing that really matters more than 
than anything else. Because whether it's academic, academic success, whether it's sports, whether it's the American dream, whatever we parent our children toward, if it's not towards eternity, then it's, it's temporary and it's fleeting. Right? So we want to parent towards eternity. And, and, and just more to the point, just to reference uh, a picture I saw online this week. I don't know if the statistics are right, but it was on the internet, so I assume it's true. Um, it says, there is a 0.02% chance that your child becomes a professional athlete. But there is a 100% chance that your child will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So ask, what are you parenting your children towards? Right, we we want to parent in such a way that when our kids stand before the Lord one day, they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right, that's what we want to parent towards. Now listen, you can't make your child follow Jesus. You can't force your child to recognize Jesus as Savior, at least in this life. Right? Ultimately, every knee and every bow will confess, but, but you do not have the ability to force your child to follow Jesus, but you do have the ability to just set up the date over and over and over again. And that's what God calls us to as parents. And just as they will stand in front of Jesus one day and give an account for their lives, we will stand before Jesus one day and give an account for how we've parented our children towards that end. All right, so parenting begins with the proper end in mind. Uh, here's the third thing. And this is going to be like the most obvious thing you've ever heard if you're a parent. Happy parenting is hard work. You guys are like, thank you. I came here to hear more than that because I already know that. All right, happy parenting is hard work. Uh, so when Kelly uh, was pregnant with our oldest, Owen, uh, I remember we went to a, um, a youth camp and uh, had a conversation with, with a former pastor. And uh, he was like, hey, I, I got, let me give you a piece of advice. You're, gonna, you're new parents, soon-to-be parents. Let me give you a piece of advice. And I love that because right? I love, that's just my learning style. I love to have conversations with people and learn from their experiences. And so I'm like, yes, I'm going to learn how to be the best dad ever. Uh, and so he pulls us aside, and here's what he said. He's like, here's, here's the reality. None of us parents really know what we're doing. <laughs> All right, see, I hear that, right? And at first, I'm kind of like, oh, really? Is that it? Is that the advice? And now that I've been in it for a few years, I'm like, yes, that is the most true advice I've ever gotten as a parent. Right? I, I can't tell you how many times I have walked into uh, a scenario, you know, with, with my children where I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do right now, right? Or have you ever, you ever had your kids ask you a question and, like, you don't know how to answer it in the moment? Like, hmm, that's a, that's a good question. You should probably go ask your mom, right? <laughs> right? There's, like, time and time again where uh, I realize this is true. Like, I have no idea what, what to do. By the way, if you, if you are a child in the room, you should have your ears covered right now. Um, but anyways... Parenting is hard work. We don't always know what to do. Um, Proverbs 22.6, one of the more kind of well-known passages of Scripture on parenting, says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think sometimes there's a, a tendency, like most of us have heard that verse, especially if we're parents, and there's a tendency to look at that as a formula. right? If I do X, Y, Z, uh, or if I do A, B, C, then I'll get X, Y, Z. 
Like it works just like that. Uh, but the reality is, if you are a parent, you know that's not true. Right? You know that parenting is not some sort of magic, one-size-fits-all formula. Why do you think there are a million books on parenting? Because there's not any one way of parenting that works for every child. Okay? If you have multiple children, you know this. Right? It's, uh, you, you can't parent every child equally. Now hear me out. You parent them fairly. But, but kids are not all equal. They're different and they're unique. And In fact, that's one of the interpretations of this verse. That, that Hebrew phrase that's translated in the way he should go. So train up your child in the way he should go. Uh, the original Hebrew can also be translated as in his own way. Right? So according to a, at least one interpretation, it could be translated as train up a child uh, with respect to his or her own individuality. Right? Now, now here, that, that could get dangerous, but what I mean by that is, is our children, are, they're just different. They're wired different. They're unique. Uh, again, if you have multiple children, you know this. Right? You can, I have one child that I could spank like up to the point of it like being dangerous and he just looks at me and he's like is that all you got right if I would have wanted a kiss I would have got one from mom right and then there's one child there's one child that I can just like look at him the wrong way and it's like this this slow motion like the tears are forming but it takes a while for them to get there you know what I mean our, our my point is our kids are different we can't parent them all Exactly the same, and that's one of the things that makes parenting so hard. Right? If it was a formula, wouldn't this thing be easy? Right? As long as I do this and this and this, then I'm going to nail it as a parent. But that's not the way it is, because our children are unique. It makes parenting hard. But on the flip side, there is one characteristic that all our children have, all of our children have, that also makes parenting hard. You jump down a few verses to Proverbs 22:15. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Our children are born with sinful hearts. They just are. Right? Psalm 51, David writes that he was uh, born in sin. He was brought forth in iniquity, uh, conceived in iniquity. It doesn't mean like his conception was an act of sin. What he's saying is, from my conception, from my birth, I'm a sinful, sinful person. Right? Our children have, have sinful hearts. We, we don't, our children don't have to be taught how to sin. That's what I'm saying. That's probably a better way to say it. So, again, if you have children, you know this. I have walked into a room, and I have witnessed, on more than one account, one child biting another one. I didn't teach them how to do that. Right? Like at no point did I pull him aside and say, Henry, come here, buddy. Let me teach you something. Hey, if you ever don't get your way, here's what you do. Find a sensitive spot on your sibling and just take a bite. Like at no point have I taught my kids that. Right? It, never. And then, uh, in case you're wondering, they've never seen that exemplified in Kelly and I. Right? I'm about 92% sure my kids have never like, witnessed me or Kelly biting anyone. I say, like, I'm 100% sure for me. I'm not sure what she does when I'm not home. But right? they, they didn't learn that by me teaching them. They didn't learn that by example. It's natural because our children are born with sinful hearts. And so 
Here's why parenting is hard. Because right? we're, we're confronting and we're disciplining sin that's inherent to them while also trying to consider their unique differences uh, and, and the, the ways that God has wired them. So parenting is not a formula. It is hard work. But the good news is that God has equipped you to do that hard work. All right, so happy parenting is hard work. Then here's number four. Happy parenting starts early. All right, it starts early. So staying in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, We're told to train up a child, implying right, a child from a young age, in the way that he should go, which implies this child still has right, lots of life ahead of him, the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But what's interesting, though, we look at that word old, um, I'd always just kind of thought that meant, right, whenever the child is grown, adult, elderly person, right, he'll remember the things he's taught. And, and I do think that's true. Um, but there are s- s- several, like, interpretations of this that, that they, uh, scholars, that they say the word old here does not necessarily mean, you know, an adult, an established adult, right? Some people believe the word old here refers to that period of adolescence, right? So if, if the, the proverb is telling us to train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he's an adolescent, he will not depart from it, the implication then is that training starts early, right? Parenting starts early. So uh, I went to a uh, children's ministry conference. Mm, it's been five, six, seven years ago. I don't know. Time runs fast when you have a lot of kids like I do. Um, but the theme for the conference was, was called Losing Your Marbles, which is appropriate for anyone that works with children or students, okay? Um, and and it, was, it was based off of Psalm 90, 12, verse 12, which just says, teach us uh, to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom, right? It's, um, well, I won't go into any more of that, but so where the marbles come into play is kind of all around this arena we were in, you know, where the conference was, uh, they kept having these big jars full of marbles on display at, at, at different levels. And um, at, at capacity, these jars were full of 936 marbles. And, and the significance was that each marble represented uh, a week. Right? Nine, one, one marble represented a week in the life of your child from the time they were born until they turned 18. Right, so essentially, with your child, you have 936 weeks from the time they're born until they turn 18 and presumably or soon thereafter go off into the world, college, career. They're an adult at that point, right? Um, and I remember, again, this was, this was back when Kelly was pregnant with our, our oldest. And I remember thinking, 936 weeks, that is, that is a long time. That's a long time with a kid, right? Um, and so... I didn't really think much about it, but then I ran the numbers again this week. Kelly, earmuffs. Um, of my 936 weeks that I had with my oldest, I have 584 left. And man, that like devastated me this week. Right To know that almost half of of my uh, years, while I'll probably have like significant influence in the life of my child, know that half of those years are probably over. Now, yes, I hope to have influence beyond 18, but, but around that age, there's a good chance he won't be living in my home anymore. So, and parenting 
starts early. Right? We, we don't want to wait until we think our children are at a certain point or at a certain stage. Like parenting begins the moment that, really it begins at the moment that we find out we're about to have children. Right? It begins early. Here's the last thing. All right. Happy parenting relies on God's grace. So uh, I've read a lot of parenting books over the last several years just for school stuff. And it seems like with each book that I read, I inevitably end up feeling convicted and beat up because I see all these things I'm supposed to be as a parent. And then I'm like, oh, I stink as a parent. Anybody else ever have those moments? Just me? Excellent. Okay. Um, but even this week, preparing this sermon, like I'm reading all these things, and I'm, I'm making these points, and I'm looking at these texts, and I'm still, like I'm beating myself up. Like, ah, I stink as a parent, right? Um, but here, here's the deal. Apart from reading books, apart from studying all that, my guess is, if, if you're here and you are a parent, my guess is that... Uh, no one is more aware of where you failed as a parent than you are. Right? My guess is that whether you're in the midst of it right now and you look back on last week and you're like, oh, I was such a terrible dad or mom to my kids last week. Or, or maybe you're kind of progressed. I'm not going to call you old. You're more advanced in years. Uh, and you can look back and your kids are grown now and you're like, man, I wish I would have done these things differently, some of this stuff differently. My guess is that, that no one's more aware of, of where you have failed as a parent than you are. But let me, let me read you this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Paul writes this. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the, the treasure that, that Paul is referring to there is, is the gospel, right? the good news of Jesus Christ, which as Christian parents, is, is what we're wanting to, to give to our children, right? Yes, we want to train them in a million different ways, but the most important thing is that they know and understand the gospel. Because that's really the only thing that can change their hearts, right? There's no, there's no parenting technique. There's no certain book, right? There's no, the, the only thing that has power to change the hearts of our children is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Paul says that, that that treasure, the gospel, exists in jars of clay, which are imperfect vessels used for God's perfect purposes. Parents, we are those vessels. We are imperfect. We are cracked. We are broken. We are misshapen. And yet God uses us in our imperfections and brokenness to shape our children. Right. Listen, God knew what he was doing when he gave you your children. Right. He is sovereign. He is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. God knew what he was doing when he gave you your children, whether they're biological children, uh, foster, adoptive children, stepchildren, whatever that, again, whatever family looks like for you, God knew what he was doing when he gave you your children. And we were sitting in our discipleship group last week. And I'm going to give Nate credit because he pointed this out to us while we were sitting there. Right? God appointed you to be the parent of your children. And he, on purpose. 
Right, so, so in those moments where you're tempted to think like my kids would be better off with somebody else as their parent, no, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. This doesn't mean that you're a perfect parent. It doesn't mean that you don't have areas to confess where you failed and ask for help and grow. But the reality is, is that you are, you are God's appointed means for your children to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. That's on you, mom and dad. So, listen, ultimately what you and I need to, to raise uh, children that, that God has entrusted to us is not, again, not techniques, not a formula. Our ultimate need is God's grace. Because like marriage, talked about this a little bit last week, or at least I did at Springfield Road, parenting will expose your sin and your weaknesses like almost nothing else. Right? And so whether it's your anger, your anxieties, your fears, your pride, your inconsistencies, like parenting will expose those things to you in a way that not many other things in life will. E- even the act of that being exposed is an act of God's grace because then you get to acknowledge it and confess and repent right? and, and throw yourself all the more on God's grace made available to you. And, and here's the beautiful thing, is when, when you throw yourself on God's grace and just say, God, I need your help, I need your forgiveness as a parent, you are met by a heavenly Father whose power is made perfect in your weaknesses. Right, it's when you acknowledge your weakness and insufficiency as a parent that you are met with the grace of God who is sufficient in every way. And he has promised his presence and his power to every parent that is in Christ. So so really, happy parenting begins at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's the cross that calls us out, right? It's the the, the cross that says, hey, you are broken. It's the cross that declares that that we uh, are are sinful and and weak. and, And yet it's the cross that points us to... Jesus, who in his death and resurrection paid the full price for all your sins and imperfections and weaknesses and inconsistencies as a dad or as a mom. Right? All that guilt and shame and condemnation that comes from realizing you failed as a parent is covered at the cross. That's God's grace. Parenting begins with God's grace. Right, it's, it's God's grace that will empower you to parent in the moments where you feel like you can't, in the moments you feel like you've, you've given it all you've got. And it's God's grace that is available to you when you, when you fail. And His grace is sufficient for you. Weary dad, weary mom, His grace is sufficient. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning when um, grateful that we get to call you Father. Lord, that those of us that have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, Lord, that you have adopted us into your family. And so, um, Lord, we have the example of a perfect Heavenly Father. We thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray a special, uh, special measure of, of blessing and grace over the parents in this room. Um, Lord, I pray... 
for those of us that are still in the thick of parenting, um, Lord, that you would give us grace to empower us, uh, to, to strengthen us for the task that, that we're currently in and the task that lies ahead uh, as we raise the children that you've entrusted to us. Um, Lord, I pray that, that in the moments where we feel weak, that we would re- rely all the more on you to know that, that in our weakness, uh, we are made strong, not because of anything good in us, but because of, uh, of your grace imparted to us. Father, I pray for maybe the parents in here that, that feel the, the condemnation as they look back. Maybe, maybe their children are grown now and they, they look back and they think of all the different things they would have done differently or could have done differently. But I pray that you would comfort them again with your grace. I pray that, that they would not feel the guilt and shame and condemnation because you paid for all of, all of that, all of that at the cross. So Lord, we love you. Um, thank you again for letting us be your children for letting us call you father Lord help us to grow uh, to parent our children well to love our families well we pray and we ask all this in Jesus name Amen